Hello, everyone. I'm Isaiah Sullivan, and I'm very excited to be sharing my podcast, St. Small Talk, with all you listeners. My guest today is former press secretary for Wisconsin Senator Russ Feingold and current associate dean at the University of Minnesota School of Design, Trevor Miller. Joining me, as always, is Marshall Saunders. We're ready for some great conversation here on St. Small Talk. Trevor. Yes, sir. From Wisconsin. Wisconsin. What part of Wisconsin? Um, uh, uh, border of Upper Michigan and Wisconsin, uh, a town called Marinette. Okay. Uh, about an hour north of Green Bay. Okay, so that's where the Green Bay love is fostered. Yeah, I mean, you know, my my uh, uh, father-in-law is a season ticket holder. Wow. Um, I think my kids are on the list somewhere. They might be someday. Two hundred fifty thousand. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Hour North, uh, great, uh, uh, great part of the state. There's a lot of Coast Guard cutters built there. Sure. Um, oh, really? It's paper a... mills. Mm-hmm. Um, paper mills have obviously declined in over the last decades. What, what are they parent? called? The Fox Valley up there? Fox Valley is south. So okay. Fox Valley is actually south of Green Bay. Like Appleton. Appleton, Oshkosh, right. uh, that sort Manash. of area. Manash is right. down there. Is yeah. there Sheboygan, too? Sheboygan's down that's closer down. to Milwaukee. Right. Okay, all right, that's yeah. too far south. Look at let, we can have a uh, whole tour of Wisconsin <laughs> geography. You know is what that what, is that what the podcast is about? Yeah, exactly. Wisconsin. 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 State by state. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is exciting. <laughs> no, what? Uh, so growing up, where would you go to college? Uh, University of Wisconsin at Oshkosh. All right. Okay. To, did undergrad there, uh, history and economics major. I think, you know, maybe I got a two point. One so really something. focused on GPA. I was more co- interested in the social aspect of <laughs> my undergraduate education. Yeah, um, I can definitely relate to that. Yeah, especially especially not having a social aspect right now and having to focus on your education. Listen, it's, it's a little weird. I know you well enough to know you're plenty social. So <laughs> even during COVID. So how did you? How does a guy from uh, northern? Oh, I guess not. Kind of yeah. North yeah. northern Wisconsin. Northeastern Wisconsin. It started with Russ Feingold. Well. In 98, yeah, 98, mm-hmm. I was in college. Um, there was an incumbent Democratic congressman. His name was Jay Johnson. Uh, he used to be an anchor man, uh, but uh, then he ran for a seat that I think was only Democratic uh, 15, 16 out of the last 150 years at the time. Oh, yeah. uh, he was able to win in 96, I want to say. And so in 98, um, this is sort of uh, middle of impeachment uh, oh, for sure. of President Clinton. Um, uh, I worked uh, while going to school. I worked on his campaign. We were the only Democratic incumbents in the country to lose. Oh, really? Um, that year, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was. It was pretty. Uh, it was interesting. How much did you lose by? Oh, I don't even remember. Yeah. yeah I mean, you and I both have our fair share of losses and right. campaigns, and that's I'm, only, right. <laughs> I'm still in my 20s. I so. know. <laughs> um, uh, I don't know how much he lost by, but but it wasn't good. Um, uh, but uh, so I went to school to be a teacher. Um, history? Uh, history, social studies, gotcha. that sort of thing. Um, but then got involved in that campaign, has, had always been interested in politics, got involved in that campaign. I want to say that was leading into my final year of college. And the summer before my final year, I got an internship out in D.C. Uh, with Russ. Unpaid? Uh, unpaid. <laughs> I lived on a couch. I ate... Uh, ramen uh, noodles and... 
usually just plain hot dogs, no bun. Oh, okay. And like mashed potatoes they sold at the Senate mess hall mm. um, every day and drank. Oh, my God. Um, uh, and it was it was a blast. I had a, I had a fun time. So I went back for my final year of school and then uh, uh, got a job for him out in D.C. right away. And three days after my graduation, I um, jumped in the car and— Headed to D.C., stayed with a, uh, fr- on a friend's couch again for a number of months. I actually stayed my first uh, apartment, or not apartment, but my first room in the house I was staying with was actually the boiler room. So I used to hang my suits on, on, on the water heater For pipe. sure. <laughs> uh, and Just let the heat uh, iron it for you with the steam that's, that's right. coming off. That's right. There was a, there was a rabbit. That used to live in that um, space. <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh, you sound like you're a pauper out there. <laughs> well, it was it was uh, it was it was really really awesome. Well, I think about that because I know a few people that have worked out in D.C. as young people, and you make no money. And is that that was true back then too? Mm. Oh yeah, yeah. I think when I first moved to D.C., I was probably making eighteen thousand a year, mm. and what renting a place would be like it was crazy. Yeah. Yeah, double it was, that. Yeah, it was in <laughs> first place was in Arlington, um, right down the street uh, from the Pentagon, um, and uh, 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 oddly enough, it was actually I forget the name of the street, but it was actually the street that the um, uh, plane flew down. Uh, oh, really? When it, uh, right before it hit the Pentagon, nine uh, eleven. Um, uh, so. Uh, Were you there during 9/11? Oh yeah, I was in the I was in the Capitol building uh, in the morning of 9/11. We were doing. Jeez. Was actually on the phone. Um, uh, Russ was doing an interview with uh, a, a reporter from Newsweek. Were you press secretary at this time? Or uh, I think I was deputy press secretary at this gotcha. time. Uh, Russ was doing an interview with someone from Newsweek about Congressman Harold Ford at the time from Tennessee, who was. I want to say considering running for Senate at that point, um, Congressman Ford at the time was a um, uh, helped us with uh, campaign finance reform. But doing the interview um, uh, with Newsweek, one plane had already hit, and it was in New York, and it was a, a big question mark about was it an what the hell is this yeah. all about? Yeah, um, and then the second plane hit while we were on. And I sort of interrupted and, and, uh, the interview and said, uh, you know, even though I called him Russ, in, in formal settings, I call him uh, senator. senator. I guess, Senator, um, the, I'm sorry to interrupt, but the uh, another plane hit the second uh, uh, World Trade Center tower. Um, he said, holy shit. And then I'm trying to think what happened. How after worried that. were people in D.C. at that time? Because well, you didn't know lot, something was coming. There down. was a lot of stuff. Some people right away as the second plane hit. Uh, bolted from the building because at that time I remember flashing because I was in the in the press office. I remember there was we had all the TVs on. Uh, there was rumors that there was a fire on the mall by the State Department. Um, it, sort oh, really? of things started yeah. to get reported that some true, some weren't. Then the Pentagon got hit, um, and uh, some people bolted. Um, I, I stuck around to, you know, make sure different things uh, 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 were happening. I connected with Russ and some staff. Um, Russ lived in a, an apartment. If there's, you know, if the Capitol, you have the Capitol and then north of the Capitol is the Supreme Court. 
And then the Senate office buildings are, in theory, uh, west. He lived sort of between the Senate office buildings and the Supreme Court. And so we went over to his apartment um, because the Capitol and the Senate offices were being evacuated. I remember stepping out, trying to find someone um, at the time, and people were just running, running from the Capitol. Mm-hmm. It was you know, women taking off high heels, um, people running were to nowhere, running or, just away. Yeah. Um, because no one knew sort of what was coming and what was, what was happening next. Well, Hey, well talking about McCain Feingold, I mean, so he was a big, I mean, you've probably done, you know, well, you obviously did years of research into campaign finance and that's an area that I find so interesting because when I look at the bill, it was, you know, government trying to limit and, Pretty make it a fair playing field for how people were getting their money and how they're spending money on a campaign. But the biggest question that obviously it was overturned was Citizens United. In large part, don't you think? Or what do you uh, think? I mean, technically, technically, no. I mean, um, you know, uh, the core parts of McKean Feingold, sort of the the ban on on on. Uh, elected officials raising soft money is, is still stands. Right. The, the problem with campaign finance reform that happened with Citizens United was, you know, McCain-Feingold was sort of built on a pyramid of, of reforms over the years. This sort of, um, uh, 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 you know, Teddy Roosevelt era reforms, the post-Watergate reforms, um, everything, you know, corporations not being able to give, all that sort of stuff. McCain-Feingold was sort of the top of that pyramid. What Citizens United did is basically wipe out the whole base. Okay. Um, uh, but but the core part of McCain-Feingold still stands. You could say, well, is it really effective anymore when you have super PACs, when yeah. you have corporations being able to do whatever they want? You know, it's it, it, it's it, not really. Um, uh, uh, but that core part about um, elected officials still going out and raising giant chunks of money um, uh, 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 directly is, uh, you know, still technically legal. But there's a lot of loopholes around things now. These so days. we were talking about, you know, how blue and how red Wisconsin is. You know, it used to be that, uh, you know, Minnesota and Wisconsin were blue. Uh, not because of kind of extreme liberalism or anything like that. It was like Joe Sixpack, right? It was mm-hmm. people who worked in the mines, sure. people Labor, who worked yeah. in factories. Today, we look at those people and we think th- those people are red voters, mm-hmm. right? So, at some point, there was a, a giant shift where those were tried and true Democrats, mm-hmm. Jimmy Carter type Democrats, and now they're voting for Trump. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. what caused that shift? What what made what would be a typical Joe six pack, you know, watching NASCAR would be a Democrat in whatever the sixties or seventies, and now they're almost certainly a Republican, and not just a Republican, but kind of the one uh, the more extreme Republican. Yeah. What what is the deal with that? What happened? How long is the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's like the moral majority is it Ronald Reagan and yeah, right. started with Reagan and yeah. uh, what's what's the guy's name of Liberty University? Yeah, yeah, Jerry, Jerry Farwell. Jerry Farwell, yeah. Uh, look, I think it's happened uh, over time. Uh, parties morph. I mean, 
you know, uh, look at the Republican Party. Yeah. Right. I Lincoln mean, Party. Right? Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, look at how that, I mean, Democrats were Dixiecrats, right. uh, pro-slavery party at one point. I mean, you know, so parties transform and morph over the years and they switch spots and, you know, um, uh, Republicans were sort of traditionally seen as spendthrifts and, and everything like, like that's all that's different. You right. change yeah. now. Right. Sort of the, the, the worker that you're talking about. You know, I think it's uh, a. I think uh, it's still different depending on sort of what state and who you are and who mm-hmm. the elected representative is. But it's definitely getting more. Even local elections are more national elections these days, mm-hmm. right? Well, yeah. What, so what, I mean, you even look at the Portland election for mayor. Right. You know, that was covered yeah. by every major, new, major right. news. Outlet. Yeah. You know what causes that? I think it's a bunch of things, right? I think it's um, economics, right? If right. people feel lost. I'm from a small hometown. It's probably always been Republican regardless. But, you know, when the factories leave, when the jobs leave, um, uh, when you don't grow up, you know, my hometown is not diverse. Yeah. Um, there's always, especially with, you know, lower economies, there's a look to who's the enemy, you know, who's taking stuff away from me. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember, you know, some of the paper mills and the lines in the paper mills, uh, especially in, 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 in my hometown, um, you know, the folks in my hometown uh, after trade agreements like NAFTA um, were passed under Clinton with yeah. Democrats, right? When the people in my town, friends, uh, uh, parents, they uh, their final jobs at the paper mill were teaching people from Mexico how to run the machinery and bolt and packing all the machines up. And loading them on trucks mm. to move them down to Mexico. Really? Right. And so um, that's tough. Right. Right. Especially when you, um, uh, when education, it? you know, historically, at least in my, in places like my hometown, um, a value. But, but, but after high school, I mean, there was no, there was no, um, uh, for generations, there was no desire to sort of move on and, and, right. and get go to higher ed or sort of move you know, None of that sort of existed. You got a great job right. in your hometown at the local mill or factory or whatever it was. Right. Um, when those things disappear, it, it's, it, it hurts the community up and down the board. Right. Maybe for some of those things, Democrats maybe have been responsible. Uh, uh, for more of the the underlying reasons for some of that, not always, but sometimes. On top of that, I think the Republicans do a pretty good job of playing into people's fears and stoking oh, that yeah. fire, antagonizing that base for sure. A resentment for sure. Um, uh, and and so you know, different things shift and change and and, and stuff over time. And you know, I, I don't think it's any one thing. I think it's a number of things and a number of factors that go into um, those shifts. Um, I think at the end of the day, it's still a large part up to the individual and the candidate. I think candidate uh, are good. I also think on top of all this in recent years, especially, and, and, and this is my view, um, and I know I'm not alone, but I know it's it's uh, people have differing views, too. You know, um, when I was growing up, well, I didn't have cable. We had three channels and, right. you know, that was it. And you got the local paper, right. which talked about, you know. The local football team or whatever, yeah, or, right. you know, what I was having now with the conglomeration of media, 
right? Your local paper is probably owned by a giant conglomerate that owns a bunch of papers like Gannett and stuff like yeah, that, right? right? Sinclair. Yeah, that, that runs the same content over and over from an efficiency cost-saving perspective. Great for the bottom line right. of a business. Not so great for, for the actual community that's yeah, reading the news. Exactly. That and the proliferation of social media, which is or, – or just the internet generally, right? It's great for commerce. It's great for – I, you know, I got the Amazon truck pulls up every right. day right. Um, <laughs> uh, for one thing or another. Uh, um, and so all that stuff is great. But also – and again, this is nothing – this is not a new idea. You know, people talk to um, uh, people they agree with. People get news from – the news outlets they identify with. Oh, yeah. Um, you don't have opposing viewpoints. If you do, it, they're demonized. And so that, that oddly enough, uh, uh, invention, you know, that can create uh, relationships with people all across the globe and try to, you know, tightly tie different uh, uh, cultures together actually – in many ways, it's had a siloed effect and silos people in, in, in similar thought, similar mindset. Hmm. And that's, you know, that's a really hard thing to overcome. On top of that, we can talk about redistricting. We can talk about right. um, uh, uh, decreasing um, uh, or, or discouraging voter turnout, uh, specifically by one party. You know, <laughs> yeah. all these well, sort of I things. Like, I like that idea you were saying earlier about like the way technology is used and you're kind of saying it's unifying, but it's also dividing. And I just, that's so true for people my age in college. You know, I'm, I'm pretty middle of the road when it comes to a lot of issues. I've worked on democratic campaigns, but I've, you know, I've, I've voted for Republicans too. But if I told some people that I voted for a Republican, <laughs> I mean, they seriously would not, there, there, there are people that I would consider friends that might not want to talk to me anymore. <laughs> but, and by the way, there's plenty of reasons not to talk to you, not just that. <laughs> not just that. Right. There's plenty of reasons. But it's just, I mean, like, I was raised in a in a conservative-type ha- household mm. where we were, like, religiously conservative to some point. But also, we volunteered all the time. You know, my dad was a huge proponent of social programs, you know, and, and everything like that. And so, really wasn't like a country club Republican. Sure. But, uh, but like— the, I just find it because I'm speaking on my generation, but the more I research, it's kind of every generation. You know, there's just like this want to only talk with people that you agree with. Mm-hmm. And it's so prominent right now in education. You know, and it's pro- sure. I mean, and I go to, you know, the University of Minnesota, which I love as a school, but it has this effect of these professors that I have will kind of even demonize certain viewpoints in the classroom because they mm-hmm. just have this assumption that most of these students are very liberal. And I'm looking around, I'm like, some of these people probably are getting kind of turned off from mm-hmm. this. I, I mean, I, I agree more times than I don't, but it's it's just kind of that issue of like mm-hmm. college in of itself is becoming a silo for for thought and idea when it's supposed to, in my opinion, be the, the complete opposite. The attacks on thought and education um, do come from one side typically. Um, uh, and sometimes those things are hard for different folks to sort of – um, uh, wade through. So what brought you to St. Paul? What well, turn of events? Sure. Uh, yeah. Um, so as, uh, uh, Isaiah was talking about, I, when I spent about a decade in DC, I, I was, I worked for Russ as a press secretary. Most of my time out there, I then ran his political action committee as he was considering running for president. Um, he did not run for president. Uh, what year is that? Obama, when Obama, the year Obama got elected. Oh, wait. So, 
you know, 06, okay. 07 mm-hmm. is when we were mm-hmm. tooling around the country and um, uh, all that sort of stuff. That would have been great. Feingold versus McCain. And, and, oh, and God, right. <laughs> yeah. there were there were tricky times during that um, campaign where, you know, uh, uh, Russ had to thread the needle because, you know, Senator McCain was was great. And they had a very close relationship. Uh, Russ yeah. was a pallbearer um, when, after he passed away. Mm-hmm. It was tricky at times to sort of navigate supporting and saying great things about both people. Was McCain um, just as not much tricky of a... for Russ, but yeah. I think people took. Sure. Um, you know, especially our supporters would get uh, fired up sometimes. And, and, and this is also one of the things that I think can turn people off, right? The idea that you can't have a relationship with someone right. who, you know, you have, you can come together on some stuff, but you right. disagree on other stuff. The closeness that those two men had and the friendship that they built over the years is sort sort of doing those fights, those good government ethics, right. um, uh, campaign finance type fights. Um, you know, the idea that you just should say, uh, he's a bad guy, right. I'm I'm going to demonize him, is just not... It's is, not what this whole country was built exactly. on. Exactly. <laughs> Do you think it's lost? Do you think it's lost on a lot of politicians today? Oh, I don't know. I don't even know if it exists so much I, anymore. I mean, even when I was in D.C., some of my best friends, even still, were our Republicans. We used to... Drink and party and hang out and do all sort of stuff for right. sure all the time. Right. And you know, I talk to folks out there now, even some younger people that I've met over the years, and it's they don't really hang out with uh, people of uh, right. on the opposite party. It's pretty siloed. And it's too bad because I think I look. I don't. I don't know how to. I don't know how to get through it. But you asked about how I got here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was Russ press secretary most of my 10 years or so out in D.C. Uh, I then ran his political action committee and then helped run his 2010 campaign. And we lost. Yeah. And so. Oh, um, you lost? Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, you're funny. <laughs> um, uh, and so, you know, I, that was that was a lot. It was it was also weighing on me for a number of years just because, um, you know, when I was single and when I was just newly married, it was just my. Uh, partner and I, we, um, it was easy, right? Uh, but, you know, I basically missed the the first year of my youngest son's life because I was on a campaign and rolling around all the time and shooting TV ads on Father's Day and talking to the press on Christmas Eve. And no that's, not, that's not fun. So I wanted to do something different after the campaign anyway. And so I was fortunate to have a lot of different opportunities come my way. But, um, like I mentioned earlier, I went to school to be a teacher. Um, I got involved in politics. I think it's a, I think, you know, those are noble professions. Um, I like to, uh, you know, my sort of driving force is to be of service. Teachers and politics. That's I right. If, I don't know if one one side would say that you complement <laughs> together as noble professions. I don't yeah, think like it. <laughs> I do buy, I mean, I still, even though I don't think it's always practice, this sort of Robert Kennedy quote, which I don't have uh, memorize fully, but the gist is, you know, a politics is a noble profession. Um, and, uh, I still believe it can be. I don't think it always is these days. Um, uh, but uh, hopefully we can uh, get more folks who, who view it that way, uh, than not. But, um, I like that quote a lot. But I, uh, I got, uh, got a, a lot of different opportunities, but decided to come here because, 
you know, still bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, and want to make a difference. Um, and uh, what I do uh, here at the university is in line with sort of my desire to live a life and uh, of service um, to my community, to others, um, to be able to see the impact that um, um, my work can have on students and research and all that sort of stuff is 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 super important. And what, what is it that you do? The assistant dean for strategy and advancement at the College of Design at the university. Um, and so uh, that's everything from fundraising, communications, development to more administrative stuff now. I, I got, you know, different units that report up through me, um, uh, but trying to, to really to be able to, to support students. And, you know, I, I, I'm a guest speaker sometimes at different classes, not just at the U, but at, at Hamlin. Um, and so it's, uh, uh, I also do some, some work with some folks out at the university of Washington, Seattle. Hmm. Um, and so it's, 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 I enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. So what does that look like on a, on a day-to-day basis? What's something that might come across an associate dean's desk? Um, uh, look, everything from, um, uh, I'll tell you lately, uh, especially with COVID, you know, we have, um, uh, uh, increases in mental health crises for students has, has increased anyway, even before COVID, um, you know, trying to figure out, uh, resources for students, um, uh, whether that's sometimes that's financial. And so just being able to sort of help them, um, uh, uh, cover, regular costs is, is, could happen in one day. Uh, Otherwise it's, you know, we have a, a fabrication operation. And so making sure that, um, they're, uh, 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 helping students and, 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 and running that it's raising money. Um, and so being able to, to work with donors. So are the, you active in the local political scene right now? Supporting candidates, going uh, yeah, to fundraisers. That's how we got to know each other. That's how I got to meet Isaiah. Yeah, for a very illustrious campaign that we were on together. Absolutely. Gosh, that was—I mean—that was my starting point, though, in, in St. Paul politics and kind of meeting people. Was working for Pat Harris. Yeah. You know, uh, a quasi relative of mine that I probably got the job through somewhat of nepotism. But uh, <laughs> but I was a staffer at age seventeen. I turned seventeen on that campaign. I was. 16, but like when I started. Well, you're all grows yeah, up. Now. I know, I know. Yeah, right. but, uh, but you were doing PR and stuff for him and working with your team with Megan, who yeah. ended up, did you know her before? No. Yeah. Who ended up I didn't, the there. only person I knew before was Pat. Yeah. Because Pat, Pat and our kids go to the same school and his daughter is actually in the same grade as my son, one of yeah. my sons. And probably, um, was, it, was the pub crawl, did it precede that or did it? Succeed. I think it preceded it. Yeah. I got to know Pat more on the pub crawls that he would uh, host. I used to be the. I used to drive the advance team for him. That's so right. Like I had just gotten my license. And he's like, okay, your job is. So he would have a fundraiser, and he would, you know, uh, put an auction. We're going to do a pub crawl. I'll pay for the bus and everybody's tab at all these like four or five bars, and the biggest donor or whatever, the biggest ticket on it, gets to invite all their friends and uh, all the money goes, I thought it was to the arts department at Expo, right? Yeah, music. Yeah. Mus- music department at Expo. So it's this awesome fundraiser. And he'd have me drive the advance team, which was me driving a couple of his buddies ahead of the bus to make sure that the bar was ready yeah. for when everybody came in. And he's like, 16, Isaiah can't drink. That's great. The other guys right, can yeah. drink. And so we do that. And it just made a ton of fun and meeting a bunch of people on those. But uh, those are some really 
fun nights for me who wasn't even really partying with you guys just seeing you get a little full <laughs> that's right yeah no it was those are those are good times and so yeah when um, pat decided to run and um uh we chatted here and there and so i helped out whenever i could did he know that you were like that was your background was politics um uh i don't did he know at the time i don't remember the sequence of stuff no. um he might have known right afterwards or right to, I, I don't remember what was your uh what was your response to that i mean obviously the biggest thing to happen to us on that campaign was the st paul police union letter mm. to melvin carter sure and you were on the pr team during that for those who don't know yeah tell us about that there was this letter that dave titus who was the president of the st paul police union at the time wrote to mayor carter Current, uh, then he was in uh, Mark Dayton's cabinet, so he wasn't mayor yet. Um, Carter had just gotten his yeah. house robbed, mm-hmm. and two guns were stolen. Yeah. And there was this dog whistle of racism in the letter that Dave Titus wrote that said, uh, uh, like, uh, crime has increased X percent since your guns have been on the street. Yes. And, and of course— Quite a leap. And, and that was sent out through a— I think it was a it was a pack on the side. It was a political I action committee remember. that supported it, and so legally, our campaign had no idea that it was yeah. going out there. And then it went out there, and we got all the heat for it. And obviously, it was. I mean, what what was the steps? I don't even remember. Yeah, it's a little hard for me to sort of piece back together. I mean, obviously, it's one of those things where um, you know I recall at the time, and you know, obviously, people knew that the the. Um, Mayor Carter's house was robbed. Yeah. Um, but you know, it was it was something that you know I know Pat at the time didn't want to talk about or do anything about. Yeah. I mean, this is not the sort of campaign that he was no. he was running, and and you know I, I think that made a lot of sense. And then this thing sort of happened without any of our control. Um, you know, it's one of those things. Uh, I, I would just back up. I don't think an incident like that necessarily it didn't really move the race one no, way or another it's no. not yeah it's not the reason he Mayor lost. Carter was gonna win no matter what yeah. that was yeah it, it's not the reason he lost and i think for a lot of things like that i mean it can grab some headlines i'm just talking about races generally across the country yeah right things like that can come up that a lot of people spend a lot of time hyper focused on whether they're um you know no matter how they turn out for the candidate but at the end of the day, unless you sort of pile things up and up and up for an extended period of time, they really have less of an impact yeah. on 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 things. I think the I think Mayor Carter's campaign. I think he ran a great campaign. I also think that you know he um, uh, uh, people in St. Paul rightfully are ready. We're ready. Um, for a new leadership, yeah, um, uh, and uh, uh, Mayor Carter's uh, uh, obviously eloquence on the stump, but uh, ideas and passion and the his uh, ability to get people excited um, uh, in his personal narrative and his personal history are uh, super were super important factors yeah. in. Um, in his campaign, and you know, more power to him. Yeah, I mean, he's the he's a son of one of St. Paul's first black police officers, yeah. uh-huh. and growing up track star. You know, he's he's got an awesome story, and for sure, he's definitely had a lot thrown on his plate this year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's been a yeah. weird year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you're talking about like you're talking about 
things piling up and not shifting it one way or the other. There was was it a Virginia race or a North Carolina race where there was the two guys running for Senate. One of them had like a sex scandal, and the other one got COVID at a super spreader event within the same day. Yeah, right. And so people <laughs> thought like, oh, oh that, that that COVID super spreader event's gonna knock him out. Like, no, the other no. guy, the other <laughs> yeah. guy's got his own baggage too. Yeah, and it's just funny to get into the mind of the voter, like. Which voters actually what, – what American is actually be swayed to vote for one side or the but, other but, over but one see, yeah, thing like yeah, that? Yeah, no, I think that's right. I, I also think it's a, it's a bigger question. It gets back to sort of what we talked about earlier, right? At the end of the day, and you see this with advertising and, and the targeting and all that sort of stuff, it's not really about issues. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's what, what, you know, what camp you're in. Yeah. And how you can uh, energize your camp to go vote. You can make the best argument. You can have facts on your side. <laughs> right. You can do whatever, right? Um, it almost doesn't matter. If you can get um, more people in your camp to show up than the other person can get in their camp to show up, you win. Right. So uh, isn't that demoralizing as Americans in a little way? I mean, doesn't uh, that? I mean, you're saying this, and it's like, I'm still young. I'm an idealist. You're you're an old pessimist. So yeah. there's there's a bit of a difference there. Like that's right. Like, well, the the optimism in it is that you got to figure out a way to change it. Yeah, you got to figure out a way to get people to a place where facts do matter, where ideas um, are important, where it doesn't matter uh, uh, sort of what what side of the aisle you're aligned with um but to get back to that point now if you can figure out how to do that <laughs> then yeah. we're gonna be in a lot better shape absolutely but, but uh, you know it is it is it is tough it's but, very difficult but locally that can't be true because we live in a town where i mean everybody that runs and wins is dfl that's right so it's not a matter of getting your camp to show up but but i would i would say and this is my own personal frustration with sort of the caucus DFL process. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, uh, it is still getting your camp to show up. You get that DFL yeah. endorsement. Right. You're, so it doesn't, I mean, um, uh, I'm not uh, criticizing individual people that, uh, that caucus or anything like For that. For sure. But um, you get more of your side to show up. You get that DFL endorsement. Uh, ideas don't matter. <laughs> they don't. You're right. It's the same thing right. at a local level. I, I'm always, I'm always um, coming from Wisconsin. You know, we have uh, it's the it's the home of progressivism. Bob LaFollette, Bob LaFollette actually came out of Republican Party um, uh, um, uh, as a progressive. Um, uh, you know, sort of that fiscally responsible, good government type stuff, right? But um, from where I'm from, we don't have a party system like this. It's you want to run? Great. You agree to, you, you know, raise X amount of money for the coordinated campaign. You spent, you pay X for access to the voter file, you know, all that sort of stuff. You go out, you campaign the hell out of your district or whatever you're running for. Mm -hmm. Whoever gets the most votes in an actual election wins. <laughs> And then you move on. Mm -hmm. It's not about who can caucus it, it, the best. It's not and about the four hundred people down at the convention center or the school or wherever you guys are at. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, that you get more of those folks or whatever percent of those folks during different votes to. It's not. It's that to me. 
from being an outsider sort of coming into the process and looking at, I had a taste of that during Pat's campaign. Also yeah. have um, a friend of mine is looking at running for school board and stuff like that. So I got, I, I get little bits and pieces of stuff. that to me. I, I, I don't know that necessarily we have the, we get the best candidates through a process like that. I, uh, I just think when I, my politics are always changing and always forming and it's from my environment and what I read and what I learn. And so I think that's true for most people. But then you look at the statistics and most people align with the party their parents align with, yeah. like like a staggering amount. For sure. And so it probably, I mean, I would guess it has to do with, you know, you're around, your parents are around those people in your community and you're, you know, the people that surround you are all like that. So you're constantly being formed by and reinforced from that ideology. And so I, I just consider myself lucky to have like been exposed to one thing at home, another thing at school, another thing with friends, you know, and then you have technology, which you can learn as much mm-hmm. as you want, you know, but you have to make that choice to learn. So. Yeah, no, f- uh, for sure. The, the thing I do as as politics have become hyper partisan, you know, I even have to um, uh, calm my kids down at sometimes because you know, they, it, again, they're thirteen and twelve, um, uh, and so two boys, right? Two boys, yeah. Huh. So they um, they uh, uh, what's the earliest? Actually, one of the earlier times. So they're always like, are we the we like the blue team, right? I mean, you know, so <laughs> that's sort of how it started, right. right? They obviously know my history of work and what I, where I used to work and all that sort of stuff. But even like I remember, um, I remember at the Grand Old Days Parade during that mayoral campaign. Yeah, uh, uh, Mel Carter was there walking through, and he came over, and my youngest said, "We're voting for Pat." Like he, <laughs> he's voting. He, we're voting for Pat Harris. Blah blah blah. Uh, uh, and it was all fine. I'm like elbowing my youngest, like, shut up. Um, uh, but there are times where they sort of have more of a, um, there has been times it's, it's been less so, um, uh, uh, since, you know, we started having more of these types of conversations where they sort of treat it more like a game, more like oh, an yeah. event, right. As like, uh, I hope they lose and blah, blah, like what I, so to your question or to the point that you were making about stuff, what I try and do to instill in them, Hey, just because, you know, that person votes for that person or, you know, we vote for the other person. um, It doesn't mean like you're against one another, you're whatever. It's just people have different ideas and you try and sort of work together. That's super hard. In a polarized environment like oh, this, yeah. where all you have is the fighting back and forth, mm-hmm. how much you, do you think we could benefit from term limits for mm, for congressmen yeah. and women? I've never been a fan of term I limits. I don't like term limits. We have really? term limits. There yeah, are there already are elections. Term, yeah, right. Yeah. Every couple of years, we get to vote on representatives. Do we like them? Do we not? Yeah. We get to vote senator every six years. We get to vote president every four years. Th- those are term limits. You can yeah. only be in your term. For four years, six years, two years until you're reelected. Yeah. That is a term limit. Yeah. I, I don't understand the idea of having to limit the number of terms. I've never looked at it like that. I, I my knee jerk reaction is to be in favor of them. Yeah. Just because I, I don't know if I'm I'm if I'm enthralled or if I like the idea of a career politician. You know, someone who just I, well, I mean, you know, it, it, I, I don't it that's one of those uh, lines and I'm not being critical of you, Isaiah. Of course. <laughs> uh, uh 
the career politicians. I want someone who knows what the hell they're doing. For yeah. sure. Um, you know, you know, they, there's term limits in California, um, uh, and you know, for their state legislature, for right? state legislature, yeah. 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 And so, you know, bureaucracy sort of rules because you got someone right. in for six years. Right. They're just starting to figure shit out, right. and then they go. The long-term bureaucrats have immense power. Virginia has, at least at their governor's level, has a a term limit one. Oh, really? They got a four-year gate. It just, you know, it's hard to do stuff and get stuff done. Um, uh, I agree that, you know, elections are term limits. Now, is there a problem with elections? (laughs) Absolutely. Is there a problem with money, gerrymandering and everything else? Absolutely. Well, that's the thing. I mean, that's what you worked on was campaign finance mm-hmm. reform. So that was the that was the problem with elections that you sought to uh, you sought to resolve when you're working for Russ. And a lot of that has gone the way of the dodo bird because of Citizens United. But Citizens United and a lot of Democrats uh, and Republicans, obviously, being okay with the system. Do you think that towns like ours are at a loss for having for being a one party town? I guess it's all major cities, but do you think there's Areas where we could benefit from having, you know, different legislators. I mean, even in the council, you know, there hasn't been the last non-DFLer elected to St. Paul City Council was my uncle Mike Harris back yeah. in 1998. And he was yeah. an independent. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, look, I think monolithic thinking hurts any conversation, hurts any yeah. uh, community, et cetera. Because, I, I, look, you know, I grew up during a time, especially when I was out in D.C., where, you know, you didn't have a discussion unless you had an argument, but that's where good ideas go to compete. Mm-hmm. And you figure out common ground and you get stuff done. Absolutely. If your goal is to get stuff done with the best plan possible, um, you know, you need different viewpoints. Now, whether those are Democrat, Republican, or, you know, just different viewpoints along the same spectrum, I think is great. But, you know, differing viewpoints, people saying no, people challenging leaders. Um, not being yes men if you're part of a mayoral, congressional, uh, senatorial staff, um, you know, I think are is vital uh, to ensuring that, you know, what is accomplished and what is done is is done the right way. You know, you move from one place in St. Paul to another place in St. Yes. Paul. What do you like about St. Paul? What do I like about St. Paul? Why is this your city of choice? Yeah. Um, you know, when we moved here, um, we didn't. Like I mentioned earlier, we didn't know. Uh, we didn't know where the hell we were, actually. <laughs> so we rented an apartment for a little bit a while up on Energy Park Drive, actually. Um, uh, and we sort of visited different areas and, and, and what we wanted. You know, when we lived in D.C., we lived on Capitol Hill. Uh, when we bought a house, we bought a house in Alexandria, um, uh, which is, you know, uh, five minutes away. Um, and so we liked... Uh, and but then when we moved to Wisconsin, we moved to the suburbs because we thought we're having kids. Right. Yeah, um, that's what you do. We need to move to the suburbs and uh, you know do that. We were there for about six months, <laughs> and we're like, this sucks. Yeah. Uh, you know, the best restaurant we had in town was an Applebee's. Right. Oh, um, and so you know, we sort of made a commitment. We're like, if we ever move again, we gotta we gotta do something better. And so when we moved here, we sort of took an opportunity to be like, okay. What can we? What makes the most sense? We have. I think our kids at the time were like three and two, um, uh, and so you know, where do what makes the most sense? Where do we want to live? All that sort of stuff. And we settled on St. Paul. We settled on the area of St. Paul just because 
you know, uh, it felt urban enough so we could sort of walk to different places, walking to, you know, walk to drug cleaner, drug, get uh, drugstore, food, all that sort of stuff, all the sort of entertainment um, uh, stuff that we like and enjoy. Uh, it was close enough for that. At the same time, you know, uh, schools were important, obviously, as the kids got older, you know, um, being able to feel, uh, 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 being able to safely walk to different places um, uh, for our kids was important. Um, and so, you know, we settled on St. Paul because I think we've, we found that, you know, we have, this is not to put down our, uh, right uh, <laughs> our sister, sister city. It just, it felt a little more distant in Minneapolis, uh, uh, different places we, we visited or even friends that we have that live in Minneapolis. Um, uh, it just was a different, it was a different vibe. It was more, uh, it felt more like a community here. Um, I will say it was hard for the first couple of years in St. Paul. Cause not it's so, being one of you yeah, it's, it's so, and not being able to sort of be like, Oh yeah, this person used to date that person right. and whose mom is whatever. Cousins blah, with, blah, blah. Yeah. We're like, you know, people talk about Crete and we're like, what the frick is it? Easy there, Trevor. That's right. That is my school. That's, I know. That's why I mentioned it. Um, but it is, it was, it, I will say this. It was our friends when we, we first got here were all transplants. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're still friends today. Right. Uh, but there are people like who moved here from Georgia or Tennessee or right. North Carolina or Wisconsin or whatever. Uh, right. Sure. Expats. Uh, yes. Right. <laughs> um, so, you know, it was – there was a rough couple of years as far as, like, building the community that we sort of felt when we sought out St. Paul. Um, uh, but over the years, you know, uh, many of you have decided to let us into your homes. Um, uh, and it, it's been great. Can I – are we done? Well, sure, if much. you want to be, it doesn't really no, matter. I don't, I, I don't need to be done. No, I'm just <laughs> yeah. asking. I thought if we were wrapping up, I, yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to ask you some questions. Okay, what it. do you, what do you got? <laughs> ask. Uh, uh, so, yeah, what, what the hell are you doing here? What what, what, doing what's, here? What, well, I'm interested in what the goals are. We just shared some text, and you're like, uh-huh. hey, can you, you want to come talk? <laughs> this, about is great, stuff this is great. This is great because yeah. Isaiah's impression. <laughs> That's, That's right. Impression That's his impression of every young person. I got Yeah, I'm an old man. I'm just like yeah. Kids, um, that's I got. Um, what am I doing here? Well, I, right now, especially in COVID, I've I, as you know, knowing me for a few years now, I'm a social guy, I want to talk to people, and I'm I'm kind of in that group of a minority of people my age who really, really do like talking with people of all ages. I like talking with adults, I like talking with senior <coughs> citizens, I like talking with kids, even you know, and you're so limited in doing that, and so I wanted to in part, make a platform long-term, but still short-term, where I could engage with people that I haven't been able to talk to in a while. And a lot of the guests I'm going to have on here, including yourself, are people that I find super interesting, that I've gotten to know throughout the years, and that I think other people will find interesting. And then this platform, St. Talk, is a way for me to reconnect with them and kind of share other people's experiences. You know, it's, it's going to have, hopefully, an effect on our listeners where they're able to learn a fair amount. I mean, you and your time here on Earth have done some really cool things, and you're continuing to do co- cool things, as we talked about. Yeah, it's not that you know? cool, but go ahead. Well, I find it cool, yeah, and I think more people find it cool than you think. And so that's this platform is kind of just a spot for me to talk with really interesting people that I think other people will find interesting. 
That's yeah. all. Look, it's you, a big you compliment get, yeah. to yourself, you know. Yeah, watch out. <laughs> what guest am I? Am I You're number two. Oh, You're number wow. two. Yeah. yeah. This is yeah. it was probably just a scheduling thing. Yeah. <laughs> that might have been a scheduling thing. That's, ex- that's exciting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you for coming on, Trevor. This was a ton of fun. It was good catching up with you, too. Good catching up with you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Had a blast talking with you today. We covered a ton of subjects, some stuff I didn't even know we were going to. But, again, at the end, we both learned a lot. And I hope those listening enjoy the conversation. Thanks for listening to St. Small Talk. St. Small Talk is brought to you by Minnesota Podcasting Studios, Minnesota's premier podcasting outfit for professional and entertainment podcasts alike. Our logo design is made by Galen Rick at Mighty Fine Design, a Twin Cities-based graphic design company. Thanks, Mom and Dad, for listening.